1: Songs about a creature that few's ever seen. Monsters, myths, and mysteries. Legends, tales, and facts. It brought us all together, and it's a reason for the fact. Up in North California, where the redwood reach the skies, three men.
0: Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is xzone at com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. This hour, we're talking about Bigfoot with... A good friend of mine, Leo Seltzer, he's in British Columbia and uh, Leo, welcome back to the X-Zone. It's great talking to you and and let our listeners know who may be listening to you for the very first time uh, tonight about yourself and, and how you got interested in Bigfoot.
2: Hello, Rob. It's nice to be back on the show again. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and uh, it sure is nice to uh, talk to you again. How have you been doing anyway, my friend?
0: I've been doing just great, Uh, and I was speaking to a couple of people yesterday, and they said, Rob, when are you going to be having somebody on about Bigfoot? And I said, you know what? Tomorrow night's your lucky night. Leo Seltzer's coming on to talk about Bigfoot. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of people are interested in Bigfoot. It seems to be one of the Phenomena that will just not go away, thankfully. And um, how did you get started with Bigfoot?
2: Well, uh, I kind of got started in it way back when I was just a little kid back mm-hmm. in the nineteen fifties. I uh, I always had a uh, uh, an interest in the abominable snowman. Oh yeah, uh, so it was called back then. And I I subscribed to a, a little uh, magazine. I think it was put out for the from the Wildlife Federation or something. But it was called B.C. Wildlife Review. Mm -hmm. And they started publishing some articles about Bigfoot or abominable snowman in there. And uh, that really grabbed my attention. And then one day, I was out with my sister picking huckleberries. And there was a great big puddle in the back of the field of the farm that we lived on. Mm -hmm. And here's these footprints around there. And I thought, this is weird. So I wondered who was running around on our property in their bare feet. And they, they just didn't look quite right. Well, I got in the house and I looked at my wildlife review magazine and behold, there were some hand drawings of abominable snowman footprints and they looked just exactly like the ones that were in our backyard. And there were some strange things going on around our farm at that time, so that kept my interest going throughout most of my life. And um, when I moved up to Prince George here in 1972, uh, I'd spent as much time as i possibly could out in the bush Mm -hmm. uh, because i've been big game hunting ever since the early 1960s well at any rate there was a lot of strange things that started happening out in the bush and one thing led to another and then in 1982 i actually saw one and that's what kind of sparked me in the direction of uh the research work which i actually got actively doing back in the early 1990s
0: tell me how big were these footprints that you saw in your backyard
2: when I was a child? Yes. Yeah, they were they were about the size of a normal adult foot, you know, maybe about a size 9 shoe or mm-hmm. something like that. But then there was another set that were quite small. They were about the same size as my feet, and I think I was about 9 years old at the time. So there, there, there was two of them. I, now that I look back on it, I figure it was probably a mother and her child.
0: Interesting. And uh, tell me, have you ever seen a Bigfoot?
2: Yes. 1982, I seen one, and I watched it for, uh, I actually watched it for about 20 minutes, but it was at that particular spot there for about 40 minutes. Wow. And uh, then I saw another one uh, the following year uh, in relatively the same area.
0: All right, you and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Leo, always great talking to you. Thanks very much for taking time out of your your evening to join us here in the Exo. Oh, thank you. Exonation. Nation, Leo Seltzer is our special guest. Sasquatch pg.net. That's sasquatch.pg.net. And uh, we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break talking about Bigfoot this hour here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Geez, I must have been a Bigfoot in a previous life because I've got size 13 feet. Hmm. Woo! We'll be back. Don't go away. Leo Seltzer and I talk about Bigfoot.
1: What brought them together Out in the swamp's what what you think I've seen Something strange you know Sasquatch sitting on the cypress knee and he was talking To Marcus and Joe a party they gon' going uh, Out in the St. John Swans Sasquatch doing brand new dancing, he called it the Bigfoot, the Bigfoot, yeah, the Bigfoot nothing but a dancing around. It. The in the and it beating the drums and, and I
0: don't know, whenever I think of Bigfoot, I always think of Harry and the Hendersons. You know, with uh, who was it, Uh, John Lithgow? Yeah, that was kind of a great show. Does uh, does Bigfoot really look like Harry did? Well,
2: I've spoken to uh, some people who have actually seen them very, very close, close enough to actually see the face, and I've also read a couple of articles on the internet, and I would say very much so. Maybe not exactly, but very much so.
0: Tell us about your sighting.
2: Well, I was out hunting in nineteen eighty two. And uh, I had stopped in this little spot there where it was a nice level spot. There used to be a corral there at one time. I guess maybe a farmer, or a rancher, or a hunting guide, or somebody had it there. And it was a nice place to stop and camp. Mm-hmm. So I did. And there was uh, uh, a large, long hillside. I was almost at the top of a very long ridge. And uh, it was quite open. It had been logged off just a few years before. It was starting to grow up enough that there was enough food there for moose and deer, and yet it was open enough that you could see quite clearly. Just below me, where I was, I heard bang, 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 bang. I thought, why is somebody down there chopping wood? There's no roads, no trails, no nothing in there.
3: Mm.
2: And just down the mountainside from where I was didn't make any sense. Well, it's kept on for a while, and uh, then this was to the south of me, and off to the north of me, I heard a response coming back. About 1,000 yards away, 900 yards away, something like that, and again, bang, bang from up there. I thought, well, this is strange. Well, I'm here hunting moose anyway, so I really don't care. So I did a few moose calls, nice loud ones to try and attract a moose to come over the ridge so I could put meat in my freezer. Every time I did a moose call, the one that was to the north of me, about 900 or 1,000 yards away, would be bang, 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 bang. Wait for a while, do another moose call, bang, 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 bang. And then down below me, the bang, bang, and then the one down below me stopped. Well, this carried on for probably about 10 minutes, and I had my rifle scope with me. I also had a spotting scope, which is 25 to 40 power, and I zoomed in over on this huge, giant fir tree that was there, and that's where the sound was coming from. Well, I seen it walk out from behind the fir tree, and it stood there and watched for a while. I did a couple more moose calls. Every time I did a moose call, he'd step over to the tree and bang, bang, had a great big long club in his hand. Hmm. And uh, that carried on like for about 20 minutes, and then he uh, walked behind the tree, and about another 10 minutes went by where every time I did a moose call, bang, bang. Then he walked out, and looked around a little bit, and then just walked right past the tr- in the f- the front of the tree between me and the tree, like you're right close to the tree, ducked his head underneath this branch, and walked off into the bush. And that was pretty well the end of it. Unreal. And uh, I went up there. I say I stayed there that night, and there was something or somebody around my campsite all night, walking around in the tall. It was just tall grass around there. The grass was knee high. Some of it was higher. And all night, something was moving around my campsite. And every time I went out there to have a look around, mm-hmm. I couldn't see anything. I'd go back in my canter. I had all the windows open and the, and the little dome uh, thing on the top open so I could hear. And I could hear it, but I couldn't see it. And that was most of the night that I carried on like that. In the morning, I got up and I looked around, and the, the grass was all trampled down all around my campsite, mm-hmm. anywhere from from 20 feet from my camper all the way up to 50, 60 feet from my camper. Stayed fairly close to where, if I was to come up with a flashlight, it could get behind some willows or, or little aspens or something to hide behind. Eh? So it didn't come directly yeah. out in the open. I was parked right right close to where there was some willow growth, so uh, it had shelter there. That's why it came so close. But uh, the next morning I got up and I looked around, and that's what I found. And uh, So I went up to where the big fir tree was, mm-hmm. And I looked at the branch that he had ducked underneath to uh, when, when he walked away, and his head was just below the branch. But he ducked his head anyway. I guess he wanted to make sure he didn't bump it. And that was probably a good eight feet up. So then I realized, that was when I realized exactly what I had seen. Up till that point, I was wondering, must be some stupid hunter up there teasing me. <laughs>
0: Do you th- do you think that the Bigfoot that you saw was communicating with other Bigfoot in the area that that y- that you were there?
2: Well, the one that was to the south of me was uh, a fair distance down, but distance is hard to tell when you're in the thick bush because mm-hmm. uh, sound doesn't carry all that well in the thick bush. But uh, they were communicating back and forth with this banging on a tree with a club type thing. Where do, I'm quite convinced that they were communicating that way because it was carrying on from the time that I first arrived and gave my first moose call.
0: So where does Bigfoot live? Where does he go? How come there's no the, the, there are so many people who, who wonder about his existence or her existence? Uh, what do we know about Bigfoot?
2: Well, we know that they're very much recluse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will come in close to populated areas. They'll come right into populated areas, but at night time... Uh, I'll tell you, there isn't one military on the face of this earth that hasn't got a lot to learn about learn from Bigfoot when it comes to maneuvering around and not being seen. They are absolute masters at it, and this is probably why they're not seen more often than what they are. It's not that they may not be around, mm-hmm. it's just that they're not seen. And uh, when they do move around, they move around very, very quietly. Uh, I had one come up fairly close to me a few years back, and I didn't, I didn't hear a thing. Uh, I, I finally heard it when I scared it, and it ran off. Wow. But they, uh, they stay back in the bush a lot, and they are very interested in what we're doing. So if they know there's people in the area, mm-hmm. they'll come and they'll look around from a distance, and if they don't feel afraid or intimidated, they might move in a little bit closer. They're very curious. You know, it's the same thing as you or I. If somebody comes into our backyard, right. we want to know who's there and what they're doing. Sure. And they're no different. That's that's their property out there. That's their backyard, you know?
0: Do you think that Bigfoot poses a threat to, to, um, to human beings?
2: I don't doubt that they could be dangerous if you were to deliberately harm one of them, like shoot it, for an example. Right. And if there was other members of his family there, I think you could be in danger. But... Uh generally, they're very, very peaceful. They don't mean any harm to anybody. All they want to do is just see what we're doing. And I think they learn an awful lot by watching us. But they, uh, they haven't shown any real serious aggression. There's a lot of accounts where they have shown aggression towards people. Mm-hmm. People will be coming along through the bush. All of a sudden, there's rocks being thrown at them and stuff like this. Well, that's just basically saying, get the heck out of my yard. I yeah. don't want you around here. Buzz off. Because I'll tell you, if they wanted to hit you by throwing a rock, they'd hit you. No doubt about it. One of my sons was working out in Barkerville at a gold mine, and uh, quite a long distance away from where he was one night, he was servicing the uh, diesel engine that that runs a giant pump for pumping the water out. And a rock came flying from a long ways off and whapped him right in the knee. And when he retaliated, like... His language wasn't the greatest, but who threw that? Yeah. Well, he went back to what he was doing because he never got an answer, and whap, another one hit him in the leg. Well, these rocks were coming from a long ways off and pinpoint accuracy. Well, then he got upset, and then he heard something running away, and he heard some laughing and noise up in the bush. And the Round the Barkerville area is known for a real hotbed of Bigfoot activity. Uh, there's a lot of stories on the Internet where people have, uh, have seen them uh, throwing rocks or known them to have thrown rocks, and they are—I mean, that's their tool. We use guns. We use bows and arrows. They use rocks.
0: How come nobody has ever found the cadaver of a deceased Bigfoot?
2: There's been a lot of speculation about that over the years. Uh, I've talked to numerous people who have been, uh, have been and are and and are still involved in the mm-hmm. Sasquatch research. I read a lot of articles on that, a lot of stories. The uh, general consensus now seems to be that they actually do bury their dead. Wow. There's been a couple of eyewitness accounts of that actually taking place, and as it turns out, the witnesses seem to be quite credible. Then again, too. Well, can I just ask how many times do people find a bear carcass or or the remains of a cougar? Let me ask you this
0: length, though, Leo. Let, let me ask let me ask you this: if if the burial of the Bigfoot has been witnessed by credible witnesses, how come nobody's ever gone to exhume one of the bodies to once and for all put this question to uh, to uh, you know to an end there? Bang, there is your cadaver of a Bigfoot. Bigfoot is real. We need to protect the species.
2: That's a real good question. One of the, re, one of the answers that, I, that, I, that mm-hmm. I found about that was that the person who witnessed it felt so remarkably protective of those people that he didn't want anybody going in there and disturbing them. Um, he 's very protective of the people that, the Sasquatch people who live in that area, yeah. and he felt that he was uh, it would be a, a, a travesty if, if somebody was to go in there and dig up the body uh, another uh, there 's been two other stories i 've read on the internet that seem to be quite credible mm-hmm. where the, the witnesses are not saying anything because they are responsible for the death and they don 't want to be charged with murder should DNA testing show that the sasquatch is real. So take that for what it's worth. Um, That's about all that we know at this particular point in time about that.
0: All right, Leo, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Leo Seltzer, is our guest this hour. And we're talking about Bigfoot. His website is sasquatch-pg.net. That's sasquatch. PG.net. And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break talking more about Bigfoot. Don't forget, February the 17th, eighteen, 19, I'm the Master of Ceremonies at the Body, Soul, Spirit Expo, being held at the International Center, 6900 Airport Road in Mississauga, which is just on the other side of Pearson International Airport in Toronto. For more information, visit expo. That's www.BodySoulSpiritExpo.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as Leo and I continue talking about Bigfoot here in the X-Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Leo, you're stepping on my feet. That's right.
1: My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Florinda, and you're
0: listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the XM. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Ron McConnell.
3: Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from Astro for You. And you're listening to Canada's number 1 paranormal radio show, The X Zone, with Rob McConnell.
0: Welcome to The X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell.
1: On the Down, or will he fulfill the legends And survive the end of man Only time will tell Only time will tell Will he look back on our glory Back on the time of man When we are long forgotten Will he still walk this land
0: Leo Seltzer is our special guest to this hour explanation. We're talking about Bigfoot. And uh, Leo, um, you've been at the Bigfoot Sighting Research. um, I don't want to call it a game. um, uh, Investigation research part of of Sasquatch for a number of years. And and what else do we know about Sasquatch? What do we know about their family life? Um, Do they stay together? Does a male and female stay together for... For life, Uh, what kind of parents are they? What kind of habitat do they live in?
2: Well, nobody really knows a whole lot about that. But uh, from eyewitness accounts Mm -hmm. and from some personal experiences that I have enjoyed, it seems like they are a very close-knit family. Uh, They do seem to move around and travel around in family uh, groups, as I've, I've seen adult footprints and youngsters and baby footprints. Uh, together in the same areas. I've, uh, I've lot of, found a lot of stuff out in the bush that definitely indicates that they, um, they will stay within certain areas for a, for a certain length of time. I think it depends on the food supply. But uh, I think that when the, uh, when the youngsters uh, reach adulthood, they do move on and find a mate. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like... The, the population of them is dense enough that they can manage to come into communication with other family units often enough to maintain the species. Uh, it, whether they move around in large family groups, uh, I, I don't know, I can't say. It seems less likely than if they were to just stay in small family units because a small family unit is easier to feed. But uh, they, it it seems like they are very warm and very devoted family people. Um, I've had some interesting experience, and other eyewitnesses have had some experiences that do indicate that they are very very passionate toward each other within the family, as we would be if we lived out and we had to rely on each other, but then look into, into our own individual homes. Most of us have very close family units.
0: Tell me, to your knowledge, has there ever been a time when a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch has tried to communicate with a human?
2: Many times, I think. Many, many times, I think. I've experienced it myself.
0: Tell us about that.
2: Uh, well... There's been a few, but I think the most prominent experiences I've had was one where I had gone out. It was just before hunting season, and I was out doing a little scouting around, trying to get in the last little bit of research work before the bush got infested with hunters. Mm -hmm. Came into a clearing. The clearing was on a bit of a slope going downward. It sloped from the north down towards the south. And in the far southwest corner, I saw something moving down there, and I thought it was probably a bear. It seemed to be low enough, and the profile of what you'd expect the bear to be, the grass was fairly tall and whatnot, a little bit of growth coming up as far as trees and willow is concerned, but you still see good down there. So I watched it for a little while, and um, I made some noise to see what, well, how it was going to respond, and, and it, it, all, on all fours, it headed for the bush. It didn't go very far. It was close to the bush anyway, but it seemed like it moved, well, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 yards. It got to a trail, what I presume is a trail, and it stood up beside a tree. And I realized, whoa, this is not a bear. So I vocalized to it, doing a loon type of a call that I have learned that they use. And it went off in the bush. And... uh, I went and grabbed all my sound equipment and got all hooked up and I did re- I did get a recording of this uh, Sasquatch's very discontent about my presence and uh it it actually said the words "oh my" and then something something I couldn't make it out and then "oh my" and something something I couldn't make it out. But there's been times uh, stories I've read of 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 accounts that people have had where uh there actually has been some interaction communication. Probably the one that would be the most interesting to people and the most informative would be the High Sierra recordings that were recorded by Ron Muirhead and his group in, in Northern California. Uh, I think it was back in 72 or something like that. I can't remember the exact date, but the recordings are available on the Internet. And they are very, uh, very interesting.
0: Speaking about recordings on the Internet, what is your opinion of the. Uh, Patterson film, Roger Patterson, Bob Gimlin film of uh, of Bigfoot?
2: Well, from the first time I saw it, I said, that's exactly what I've seen before. Now, I had a sighting in 1982. I had another sighting the following year, Mm -hmm. and I've had a few uh, partial sightings uh, since then. I never even knew that film existed until the late 1990s. When I, when I saw it for the first time on the internet, I think it was, actually it might have been after huh. around 2000. It could have been, I'm not sure. But the first time I saw it, I said, well, that's exactly what I've seen before. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind about the credibility of the film. And there's been a lot of uh, positive and negative responses by people and groups about it. And, mm-hmm. and it seems like the more investigative work takes place on the film... The more it comes out as being authentic.
0: Why do you think that there is so little credible research, well-funded research, going into the search for Bigfoot?
2: Well, first of all, the scientific community doesn't want to accept the fact that Bigfoot is real. Well, you know, it, there's my, only a my very way... small number of scientists who have actually made that step.
0: You see, my way of thinking is. If the scientific community wanted to clear it once and for all that Bigfoot did not exist, they would put everything they could into an expedition to find him, cataloging and logging everything that they have done. And if they come up empty-handed, you know, they could say, well, listen, this is what we've done. We have found nothing. On the other side of the coin, wouldn't it be a feather in any scientist's cap to find concrete evidence to, of the existence of Bigfoot, another species.
2: Well, that makes sense to you and I. Yeah, but it seems like what makes sense to us doesn't always make sense to the scientific community.
0: Yeah, I've One noticed. One of the things
2: too. is scientists don't want to say they're interested in Bigfoot because they don't want to get laughed at or ridiculed by their colleagues and their and their peers. So they keep pretty quiet about it. Uh, The few who have stepped forward and gotten involved with Sasquatch work have have been faced with some of that. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, situation that Dr. Jeff Meldrum uh, had to face with when he let it be known that he was going to be very active in Sasquatch research. But it wasn't a very pleasant experience for him moving into that.
0: Share it with our audience. So I'm sure they'd love to hear it.
2: Well, from what I understand, Dr. Jeff Meldrum let it be known that he was actively or becoming more and more actively involved in Sasquatch research. And apparently the institution he worked for uh, made some very dire comments about him being involved with that. And uh, from what I understand, he was even faced with some possibilities of losing his career Uh whether it's true or not, I'm not sure, but that's what I understand hmm. from stories that have been written about him and, and his uh, his problems in moving into this line of work. Uh, Dr. Meldrum, I think that every person who is involved with Sasquatch research or even has an interest in Sasquatch research need to take our hat off to him because he stood firm and he's carried on doing magnificent work.
0: Lauren Coleman also we'll does a good him. job. Yeah. Lauren Coleman also does a great job.
2: Yep. There are a number of people out there that are doing fantastic work.
0: What would you do if later on tonight you're on your way home and you happen to see a Bigfoot sitting on the side of the road? How would you react? What would your first instinct be?
2: I would stop my vehicle and I would get out and I'd try to create communication. There's no doubt in my mind Mm -hmm. about that. I have no fear of them. As a matter of fact, when they have been around close by where I've been, I felt a lot more comfortable, a lot more at ease. Because I know that if I have a problem with, well, let's say a bear, for instance, I know that if I call upon them, they'll help. Because they can feel comfortable around me because I don't pose any threat to them, and they know that.
0: Are they So that would lead me to believe that, that you think they're very empathic.
2: They're, they can be very friendly to people who are willing to be a very take the time to be for, very friendly to them. I've I've had one come to up to within twenty feet of me, and I played peekaboo with them for, gosh, I don't know, probably close to an hour, until finally I was getting very very cold. It was a very cold <laughs> night, and I just said, "Well, sorry, buddy, I can't talk to you anymore," and I just packed up and left. But the um, like I said before, they don't pose any threat. They're just very very curious.
0: Are you aware of any stories, uh, uh, Leo, of Sasquatch encounters with children, with human children?
2: Yes. As a matter of fact, in Prince George here, I can't say where it is because I'm protecting their identity and their location. But I went out there and I spoke to them, and uh, it was very, very close to a Sasquatch sighting that was on the highway that I had been investigating. Now, this woman said they had lived there for quite a number of years. So -hmm. when they first moved there, their two daughters were like uh, preschool. And the daughters, are at that time when I spoke to them, the daughters were about eight or nine years old, something like that. But from the time the girls were old enough to wander off behind the house, and into the bush uh, by themselves, yeah. uh, they never went very far because their property was all fenced and it's not that big of an acreage. They started running into this hairy little child who wanted hmm. to play with them all the time. And pretty soon the hairy mother let hairy child come close enough that they could actually play little games but not close enough to touch each other and that carried on for a while the little girls kept on telling their mother hey mom you know there's there's some hairy people that come in our backyard of course that's the kind of thing that a a parent would say well yeah it's a nice playmate and nice imaginary playmate for my child but the two girls kept on insisting no it's real So one time, the mother finally decided to go out back with the girls. They finally convinced her to come along, and they found all the footprints around. Well, that made her definitely a believer. She was very concerned about the children going back there and playing, so uh, she made sure that they didn't go back in the bush anymore because she was afraid of her her two daughters getting hurt. But, shucks, the girls had already had a lot of contact. They weren't scared, so I don't know why her mother was. (laughs) But, you know, parents do worry about their children Earlier, but there's both... also other instances where where children have come in contact with Sasquatches and, and played with them and stuff, and really? it's, it's turned out to be a very uh, trusting friendship.
0: Do the Mounties or the Forest Rangers ever talk about encounters with Bigfoot?
2: Not openly. No way? I was at, a, I was at an, an outdoor show here a few years ago, about four years ago I believe it was, Mm-hmm. And I got talking with a fellow. He was standing at a, at a display table, and I came along, and I just started talking to him a little bit, you know, the way you do when you're kind of looking at stuff. Yep. And I handed him one of my business cards, and he looked at it, and he got a strange look on his face. He looked at me, and he said, you're in Sasquatch research? I said, yeah. He said, are you local? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I'm a, a timber cruiser. I work out in the bush all my life. He said, uh, a lot of times I'm out there all by myself, and that's that's my line of work. Mm-hmm. So I asked him if he had ever run across anything suspicious or actually seen a Sasquatch. And he looked around to make sure that there was nobody close enough to hear what we were talking, and he leaned over and he whispered very close to my ear. He says, I know where there's a lot of Sasquatch evidence. I could take you out and show it to you. And he says, I've seen them.
0: Wow. Now but he did said, did you go I don't
2: want anybody to know that because I don't want to lose my job and then his daughter came along and and uh, my wife and my friend came over, and he just clammed up and took off right now, like no more talking, I'm out of here
0: so you never found out where this stash of evidence was.
2: I asked him to contact me, and he never did
0: oh gosh that's that's that is so ironic, so close and yet so far yes. I wonder how many other members of logging crews or forestry crews have actually seen Bigfoot or had interaction with Bigfoot that just don't want to say because they don't want everybody else to think they're a little loony.
2: Exactly. Uh, A friend of mine was doing some work for a financing company out of eastern Canada, Mm -hmm. and his job was to go out and check on logging equipment and make sure serial numbers matched up because the logging company was looking for financing. Of some sort. Well, I had to go with them east of, or I mean west of Prince George here, Mm -hmm. and we got the the logging uh, manager of the logging company. He took us by his vehicle for I think it was pretty close to a 200 kilometer drive out into the bush to get to the logging. All right, Leo. What uh, we're going, Leo.
0: What we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of a of a um, what's the word cliffhanger, and we'll be back. (laughs) talking about Bigfoot with Leo Seltzer here in the X-Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, for more information on Bigfoot or Leo, his website is sasquatch-pg.net or sasquatch-pg.net. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'll be back on the other side of this break with Leo Seltzer with more Bigfoot. Don't go away.
1: we'll never understand Or will he- Fill the legends and survive the end of man
0: ExoNation, Leo Seltzer is our special guest to this hour. We're talking about Bigfoot BigfootSasquatch-PG.net. That's Sasquatch-PG.net. Before we go into the commercial break, we were talking about a time that you went out with a friend of yours uh, who's in the financial business to check serial numbers on logging industry because apparently there was some refinancing that was going to be happening. So take it away from where we left the cliffhanger.
2: Yeah, we, uh, we had spent quite a bit of time with this guy, because we had to go 200 kilometers uh, south of uh, of the little community, mm-hmm. and then, of course, 200 kilometers back. And he took us out there in his vehicle, so we had lots of time to talk. When we started explaining to him about uh, what we were doing and, and the types of evidence the Sasquatches leave behind, he finally trusted us enough to say, yeah, I've seen a lot of that stuff around. And it wasn't until we were actually on our way back, uh... By this time, we, of course, we had been with him for quite a number of hours. Mm-hmm. He finally said, you know, I saw one once. And then he said, uh, one of my loggers claims to have seen one too. It was watching him while he was working. But he said, uh, I don't really want to talk too much about that, so don't tell anybody who I am and who I that I told you that. Fair enough. That's it, okay.
0: It seems that Sasquatch research is in the very same position that Ufology is people have information, but they don't want to come forward because they fear ridicule.
2: Exactly. And that's, that's a really big problem in our society yeah. today. Anything that people really, uh, if, if it's not commonplace, and you talk about it, or you've seen it or experienced it, you're wide open for ridicule. And it just seems to me that's the way society is. I, I, I just don't understand why, but that's the way it is. And this, is, this creates a real problem for people who are in these types of research uh, projects. Uh, you know, credible witnesses will come and they'll tell you stuff, mm-hmm. but they don't want it to be known who they are. Yeah. Or they have evidence available, such as maybe a burial site, and they don't want anybody to know because they don't, know, they don't want anybody to find out that they're connected with it. Uh, a a sporting goods store where I used to do business quite often, a fellow that worked there said that he had seen a Sasquatch quite a few years ago. He came home, he told his wife, and she laughed at him. Mm -hmm. He never mentioned it to another person for six years until he told me about
0: it. Leo, as happens when you're with us, time just goes by so fast. I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight here in the X Zone. And once again, let our listeners know what your website is.
2: Sasquatch, S-A-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.
0: Leo, take care of yourself. Always great talking to you. Look forward to the next time you and I meet back here in the Exxon.
2: Thank you very much, Rob. It's always a pleasure. And I'd like to thank your listeners for taking times out of their busy lives to listen to the show. Thank you very much.
0: Take care, buddy. Once again, Exonation, Nation, Leo Seltzer, Sasquatch researcher. sasquatch PG. Net. Well, that's it for tonight. I want to thank everyone around the world for tuning into the Exxon. And uh, once again, we're getting near the cold uh, temperature. So if you can help someone out, whether it's food, money, or clothing that you don't need anymore, it's always great to help other people out. We are a brother's keeper. And until tomorrow night, remember, always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone. But you can
3: stay.